into our sermon series. We're doing God's Wealth. We've been taking eight weeks to do a deep dive into the ancient wisdom, the ancient teaching of the Bible about money. And we've covered all kinds of amazing topics. And we're now in week seven. And as we've gone through this, we've really seen and learned and been reminded that Jesus himself says a ton about money. He says it directly, um, teaching about money, about how to think about money, how to use money, but also indirectly he teaches about money. So what you notice about a lot of the teachings of Jesus are that even if they're not directly about money, he still somehow frames all of his teachings using financial terminology. And that should give us an insight that if it's, in, if it's on God's mind and it's something valuable and important to God, it's something that we should grapple with and learn about, something that we should be confronted with and be challenged with and grow in. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And um, as I said, we're doing Invest Wisely. Um, the most common investments that most people will have is retirement. Hopefully, people are thinking about that. When you're young, you don't necessarily think about that. The older you get, the more you start to think about that. Um, if we're blessed, if we apply actually some of the principles we've been learning in this series, and we find that we have more money, more than just uh, beyond our means, then we are faced with the question of what do we do with the extra that we have? And that's when we start asking questions about investment and asking, well, what is it, how does God want us to think about investing money? Some of the content from actually from this series and from today comes from a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn, which is a great book, my second favorite book other than the Bible. I read it about five times, so definitely um, check that out. Let's pray, and then uh, let's read here from Luke 19. Jesus, we thank you you're with us, and I pray today that you would uh, give us great insights into how to continue to use the money that you bless us with, all the things that you've given to us. Continue to help us to be generous, to be open-handed, to be debt-free, um, but also to think wisely about the future and about the kind of investments that you might call us to make. God, that we would do this all with wisdom and with discernment in a way that's glorifying to you. And I pray more than anything for those who don't know you today, God, God, come to them, help them find you, help them find faith in you. And I just pray encourage people's hearts, Lord. Life is hard. And I just pray for anyone here who's feeling blue, I pray that you would Give them your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. This is obviously talking about Jesus. Uh, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10, 10 miners and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your miner has made ten miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, 
you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your miner has made five miners. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then came another saying, Lord, here is your miner, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. It's not what you want to hear. Verse 21, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has the 10 miners. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 miners. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is God's word. Sounds a little harsh, Jesus. Be slaughtering the enemies here. What's going on? How do we understand this? How do we read this? Here's the meaning of the parable. Jesus tells this parable of this, this nobleman. And uh, this nobleman, he has to travel to receive, officially receive his kingship um, to, to be officially set in as the king of his kingdom. And um, this relates to Jesus. This is a picture, this is an allegory, a spiritual allegory of the ministry of Jesus. So as Jesus fulf would fulfill his earthly ministry, as he would be crucified and resurrected, and then he would ascend to heaven, he would receive in that place, receive, be crowned as king of a new kingdom, a new covenant that he had created. That's the picture that Jesus is painting. That's what's gonna happen to him. And, but he says uh, in this parable that there were people of this kingdom who hated the nobleman. They hated the king. And so as the king travels off to get this kingship, they send a delegation to, say, uh, to oppose him and to say, we, we don't want this guy to be our king. And this, as it relates to Jesus, um, this is what happened to Jesus, that the people that Jesus came to, his own people, Jewish people, uh, not all of the Jewish people of his day, of course, but many of them, or at one point they all abandoned him, right? Even his own closest disciples abandoned him at one point. Uh, but especially the religious elite of his day, they, they sent delegations, they rejected him, they, they spoke publicly against Jesus, trying to entrap him and essentially ended up getting him crucified and murdered. And um, some historians point out that uh, Jesus is actually borrowing, probably crafting this parable from something happening at the time. Uh, with Arch uh, Archelius, I think it is. Archelius was, some, was somebody who traveled to Rome to receive uh, kingship from Augustus. And as he went to receive this kingship from Augustus, it said that a delegation of his own citizens also traveled after him and were essentially trying to undermine his own kingship and his own rulership. So Jesus is borrowing from a modern day story and repackaging it for them in a parable that's teaching them a spiritual principle uh, that we see um, in this. So the citizens in, 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 the, uh, for the, the, in, in the kingdom that this, this nobleman has, 
These citizens are given responsibility. And we're told that they're given, each of them are given um, some miners. So that's a currency at the time, and they essentially were given about, it works out in today's money to be about three months' worth of, of salary in one lump sum. That's what each of them are given, three months' worth of salary. And a couple of them do really well. They follow the instructions. They do what they're told to do. And one of them, like, increases it by, like, 1,000%. Another one increases it by, like, 500%. Um, so they, they, they do pretty good, and then a couple of them do really well, and they're, they're honored, they're praised for what they do, and then they receive a reward proportionate to what they produced with what they were given. And uh, what's really cool is, is that they were given cities, actually, to rule over. That's one of the things that, they, that was the reward that we're told about in the parable, in this allegory. And this is a point, uh, again, in the Bible, that God's special heart for cities shines shines through. You see this at different parts of the Bible as you read through. We see that, that heaven is a city and that cities are desirable and inevitable and full of redemptive purpose and that, that there's a special place in God's heart for cities. And so for Jesus to use the reward for the work of these citizens to be the uh, receiving the responsibility to care for and to seek the prosperity of these cities and to oversee these cities, again, paints for us this vision that God has for us to, that we might also have God's heart for the cities of this earth, but also the final city that we'll be in as well. Beyond just the city aspect of this, we see that God gave them leadership responsibility. And so we should receive this parable understanding this, that God has a vision for our lives. Not everyone ends up in such a high level of leadership responsibility as these two servants did, overseeing multiple cities. But there is something in the heart of God where God wants us to have a vision for our lives, that our lives are not just meant to be for ourselves, that we just take care of ourselves, but we actually grow into such maturity that we're taking responsibility for others, that we're investing in others, that we're leading others and influencing others for God's purposes, for God's kingdom. Now, we also have this other servant, and in other translations of the Bible, they're actually called slaves. Um, servant, slave uh, is kind of interchangeably used in different parts of the Bible. And our idea of slavery is different to the Bible's idea of slavery. Uh, but essentially, they're, they're bond servants. And this, one of these bond servants, he fails to follow any of the instructions. And as a result, not only is what he was given, the, the, the three months' salary that he saved in a handkerchief, not only is that taken from him, but he's executed. Now, Jesus, in borrowing from the context of his day, in telling this story around, hey, there's a king who has enemies, he goes off to get his kingdom, he comes back, and these people are trying to reject his kingship. In, in framing it that way, Jesus' hearers of the day would not have been surprised at all that the king would have executed these people. This is treasonous behavior. These are people of your own administration, your own government, who are actively trying to undermine your leadership, and they're essentially traitors. They're, they're committing treason, and that this is typical throughout most parts of history. Those people, they get slaughtered. They're gone. That's what kings do. And so the, the heroes of Jesus' day would have thought nothing of this. They would have said, well, that's, yeah, that's what you get if you, if you do that kind of thing. For us, as we hear this, uh, this part of the parable, we, have, we do have to remember this is a spiritual allegory. Jesus is trying to paint for us, though, the severity and the seriousness, the consequences of rejecting God, of, of, of coming directly against God, of, of opposing God, that ultimately will be cut off from him. 
And there's a serious message in that. That's, that's why we should follow Jesus. That's why we should take Jesus so seriously and seek a relationship with him so that we'll be with him and so that we won't be without him. So this, this particular servant did, essentially did four things wrong. The first thing he really did wrong was uh, that he falsely accused the king. He maligned his character. He accused him of being a severe, terrible man. And in doing so, the second thing he did in doing that is he kind of blamed him for his, his lack of productivity and his, his, own, excuse me, his own laziness. So he, he accused him and then he, and then of, of being a bad character, and then he's blaming him for the outcome, which he alone is responsible for. The third thing he did wrong is that he, he failed to follow any of the directions. Completely, the, the direction was go do business, go work, go turn this money into something more. He failed to do that. And then the fourth thing, uh, that he did was that he wasted these resources. These resources could have been used for, in, for great things, and he completely wasted them. Even in, we, we can't be, be fooled into thinking that if we're neutral, we're okay. Of course, we should seek to do good. We should seek to do the good that God has called us to. But also, what we've got to understand about this is that the world is never neutral. In the void of the good that we could do, Evil thrives. It is actually, the Bible describes it this way, it's, it's, it's a wicked thing to not do the good that we could do. That allows evil to thrive all the more and then he paid the price for it. The bigger point of the parable is this, is that God gives each of us resources. He gives us time, he gives us talent, he gives us connections, he gives us opportunities, he gives us money and resources. He gives each of us resources. And we're to take it seriously, his calling to use those resources, to multiply, to invest those resources, to use them to create a harvest of righteousness in our lives that we might bring glory and honor to God. That's the, the point of it. And the Bible here, and actually many parts of the Bible, the Bible is actually being very pro-business. Jesus framing this as, hey, go do business. It's being very pro-business and very pro investment. And when we think about this, actually, this, this makes sense that even though work is cursed, our, our work is more difficult than it should be, work itself is not a curse. Do we see the difference between those things? That work is cursed and that it's the fall from, our fall from grace in the very beginning, work has been cursed, but work itself is not a curse. Work is, actually is a gift to us. Work came before evil and sin entered the world. And so we see that as we work in the world, we're, we're called to work to do redemptive things for God, to use our energy and our time to actually help other people, but also to use our own talents and to use our own abilities that God has given us to, to be enriched by that. that there's, there's something divine as we, as we work with the strength that God has given us. Excuse me. <coughs> we need to do that for about 10 minutes. <coughs> I need some water, actually. Been a little sick this week, but I'm not contagious. It's just like slightly under the surface there, building. <clears throat> Where was I? <clears throat> Someone's listening. This, this parable is very pro-business. That God, part of our, us, us displaying the image of God is that we, we do the work that God has called us to, that we that our lives are supposed to be useful 
and, and we know it's super depressing, super dark, if we get to a place where we believe we're useless, we're not good for anything, or that we can't contribute to the world. That's a terrible place to be in, and that's because it's, it's, we're not really living out of the vision that God has for our lives. And so um, the Bible's very, very pro-business here, but also very pro-investment. It's really encouraging. Hey, even, even just framing this, this allegory with this idea of using your money to invest it, to grow it, um, is very pro-investment. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that directly tells us to invest our money. There are verses that tell us, hey, go work, use your work, be you know, accomplished in your work and try and master things and use that in, in, in a godly way. But there's no verses that tell us uh, directly to invest. But because Jesus is, so, and actually Jesus is not the only time he uses investment uh, to actually teach a lesson, but because Jesus does this a few times and because he's so positive about it, it really gives us the impression that um, we, have, we have permission to invest. We can use our money. We can put it into certain investments. And we can just definitely say this, there's no verses in the Bible that prohibit us, that ban us from investing. That doesn't mean we should, but it means we have the freedom uh, to do so. So with this parable today, this parable is about lots of things. It's about all the resources and all the time and the energy that God gives us. I want to hone in and specifically focus on finance today. Focus on finance today. Verse 23 says this, very interesting. Verse 23 says this, because it seems that the nobleman, this king, he would have accepted even the laziest form of investment. Even the laziest form of investment, this guy would have been okay. So verse 23, it says, why, they di- uh, why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So again, to be super clear, Jesus, here's what Jesus is not going to do at the end of time, balances and say, Elon Musk, you did it, you won. Or Jeff Bezos, you did it, you won. Right? The, the, it's an allegory, right? It's you, he's using finances to teach us a lesson um, about, about how we multiply all the things, you know, the, the different things that we've been given in our lives. But money is a part of that. Money is definitely a part of that. So as it relates to living a fruitful life, living a life, a harvest of righteousness in our life, doing the good works of God, multiplying good works in the world, and, and taking what God has given us and growing it into something wonderful so that, you know, planting those seeds so it grows into something more so that we can give that as an offering, as a, as a blessing to God. Um, how, does, how does our use of money and our use of investing money, how does it relate to that? I want to answer that question today. And... If you think about investments, financial investments, and if, well, what is an investment? It's, you're essentially putting money into something that you, you, you want to financially profit from, right? So if you're not planning on actually getting profit out of something, it's not an investment, it's just a purchase. A purchase. So if you, if you have a, a fancy wedding ring or an engagement ring or something, that's, that's not an investment. If you, if, you, if you have a car, not an investment. If you have a cabin in the woods, it's not an investment. Unless you have a plan, unless your intention is to sell, sell those things for more than you paid for them. And typically, with a car, that never happens. With lots of those things, that may never happen. Um, a cabin in the woods, eh, who knows? May, it depends. Maybe that could happen. Property, usually, that, that goes up over, in value over time, but not always. It's only, you know, or if we're going to use it to make more money than we put into it in the first place, then again, it would be a kind of investment. The four most common types of investment that we have uh, that are typical for people are obviously the stock market is a big one, right? That's the first one. Second one is, is property investment. Third one would be lending money to people or to businesses. Um, 
so you're essentially becoming like a shark, like in Shark Tank, right? You're turning yourself into Kevin O'Leary, giving out loans. Um, the, the fourth way uh, to, to invest would be like in rare items or collectibles. You know, you, you, maybe you have an opportunity to, to purchase something undervalued or that you believe would be of higher value in the future, and then you, the idea is that you're, you wait, and you're waiting for that value to grow up, grow in, over time, and then you, you know, if you're just buying it for yourself because you like it, it's not an investment because it's a purchase because you're not getting any profit out of it. It's only an investment if it's going to grow and make more money. So the, 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 per, the process of investment is I use a small amount of money, I put it into something, I use it to, to purchase something or put it in something that is going to grow value over time, that's going to increase the money that I will then take out and use for something else. Now, the goal, that's the goal of investing, but the goal for a Christian is not just to get more money. It's not just to get more money. So what would be some, let's look at some, some reasons for investing. Let's go start off with bad reasons and then we'll get to good reasons. So some bad reasons for investing. Number one, greed. This is a bad reason to invest. The Bible directly tells us if we invest in things or we use our money in ways just because we want more, that's a gross motivation and that will lead us off track, that will lead us into disaster. The second one is envy. Perhaps we see celebrities or wealthy people or just people we know, regular people we know, using money in certain ways and we, we look at their life, we look at the choices they're making and we just want those things. And so if we're motivated to try and grow our money because we're envious, again, terrible reason to invest. The third one is pride. Having greater status, having more money can give us, give us a sense of more power or more prestige or more status. If that's the motivation that we can boast in our investments or boast in our profits, that's a terrible reason to invest. The fourth one um, is uh, ignorance, to invest out of ignorance. Now, this is dangerous because if we don't quite understand what we're investing in, we, we might lose uh, our investment entirely. The fifth one is fear. Sometimes people are given opportunities to invest in certain things, and it's, it's a lucrative opportunity. It's like you can 10x your money over six months if you invest in this one thing. And we, we, we might make a decision out of fear because we're going to lose an opportunity. Terrible reason to invest. What are some good reasons to invest? Number one is that we might want to save for future needs. So this is what a retirement plan would be. Is you've got to think ahead into the future. My plan for retirement is never to retire. I think retirement's overrated. I think we should always be working in some regard. Sometimes people may not be able to get paid for work they would do as they're older, so they may have to volunteer for it. So in that case, you definitely need a retirement. As you get older, you may not have the energy to work as much as uh, you did when you were younger. So and you may not be able to earn as much as you're older. So you definitely, there's got to be something saved up for the future. And so that's, this is a good godly reason to say, you know, if I'm saving up, any kind of savings we have, if it's for the long term, it makes sense to say, well, why wouldn't I just invest that money so that money can grow and be, become even greater in the long term. The second uh, good reason to invest is to provide for family. So obviously, like, you know, even certain types of life insurance would be considered, uh, you know, depending on the kind of life insurance, could be considered a type of investment. Um, but it's taking care of uh, people beyond our own life and also into the future as well. The third one is to help specific businesses. Now, think about it like this. Oftentimes, we think an investment just helps us. Oh, I put my money in, it grows, I get more back. But also, if we give towards a particular business or organization, we're helping them. They have the funds. They have their, they're being invested in. They're growing in value. And we're actually helping them succeed. succeed. And so it might be that some, some of us have a particular vision or, or 
passion for what a business is doing. We might really like what they're doing. And so we might say, I want to invest in them because I really believe in their mission. So it's not just, so it's a win-win, right? I'm getting something out of it, but I really believe in, in what I'm investing in. The fourth reason uh, might be to help the economy. Now, this is probably somebody who is quite wealthy. Uh, they might be strategic if the economy is struggling or they just want to boost the economy. They might, they might invest in businesses that can employ more people or that uh, are focused on certain sectors they think will help generate more economic growth. And so this might be a, like a really smart way for somebody to, not just to grow their own money, but to say, I want, overall, I want our economy to be doing really well. So that would be a really good kingdom mindset to have about investing. Uh, the fifth one is to contribute to ministry. So um, we actually did this as a church. So we have a building fund that we've been gathering up over many years, and we don't own this facility. We want to be able to buy this facility, so we're trying to save up for it. And one of the things we did is the money that we actually have in our um, building fund account, we lent a portion of that to another church to help them buy a building, and then they were paying that back to us at 5% interest rate, which is a great interest rate uh, to get. So we were actually able to grow. We were able to help them get into a building, but also we, uh, there was Jubilee Church in Atlanta. We helped them get into a building, but then also we actually ended up growing the offering that we'd already uh, received. But there, there may be ways as well that some people might say, you know, I want to, I really believe in this particular ministry cause. And so what I have right now is small. I could give some of it if there's an immediate need, but also if I invest it and really grow it over time, I could give a much larger amount in the future. So that would be a good reason to invest. And then uh, number six is to help those in need. So a similar idea to number five, it might just be um, some type of organization that's working in a particular area that you care about. You say, can or are, do they have investments? Can I invest in them or different, different ways to think about this? But these would be some good motivations to invest in this life. Of course, the greatest investment is in the next life. The Bible tells us this over and over and over again. If you can err on the side of either being generous now, in the here and now, or investing in the long term, in the future, the, the way you want to go with it is you want to be generous now because that is the investment into eternity. But think about it like this. Financial investments now, if done appropriately, if done well, can also be investments into eternity, into the future. It all comes down to the intent. It all comes down to a plan to say, I'm only going to have this investment for this amount of time. If there's not a time frame to it, then essentially we're just not, we're actually lacking generosity because we're using, we're piling, stockpiling away money for some future investment that who knows when it's going to mature or when it's going to come about. And we're avoiding real needs in the here and now. So financial investing now can become a future kingdom thing if, we, if it's limited in its time period, but also it's for a specific cause. It's, we know what we're using it for. Otherwise, you might be tempted because the more money you have, the more temptation you have to hold on to it for yourself. That's the danger. That's the temptation. Financial investing should never cause us to be less generous. In fact, as our money grows, we should become more generous. We should do what the poor widow did in Luke 21, this famous story in Luke 21. Let me read this real quick. This is what she did. A couple of chapters on from what we're reading. Jesus taught this, Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 
I actually have, so, so the coin that she put in, it says she put in two small copper coins. And I actually have a coin from Jerusalem from the time of Jesus. I, this is certified. We have actually have a picture here of, of this as well. This is called a lepton or the widow's mite from Luke 21. You can, these actually, in a, this was the most common coin, ancient coin uh, that was minted. So there's a lot of these going around, but I, I bought uh, this online that's certified from Jerusalem, from the time of Jesus. And if anyone wants to see this afterwards, you'll, you'll, I'll be in the lobby. I'll show it to you. It's pretty cool. I love stuff like this because it connects us to, it connects our faith to history. There's a sm really small chance that this is the coin <laughs> that, that, that the poor widow put into the offering box. Really small chance, micro chance, but you never know. How cool would that be? We'll find out when we get to heaven. But I'd love to show this to you uh, if you want to take a look at this up close and personal. And um, here's what the, the widow did. You know, all these wealthy people, they probably gave less than 1% of what they, um, what they had. But they're, they're doing it in a public way, making themselves look generous. Like, oh, look how generous they are. They're giving so much. But it's like they gave such a small proportion of what they had. That's all she had. She gave 100%. She gave everything. And she, this, that was an investment into future generations because her gift is still bearing fruit for us. It's the fruit that it's bearing is that it inspires us to be generous, right? We should, we should be praying about this Christmas offering, praying, God, stretch my faith. What would you have me give to this Christmas offering to help with, to give towards GRIP youth, to, to give towards the, the VBS next year, to give towards the benevolence ministry? How can I contribute and give towards it? How can you stretch my faith? And how can I be like this poor widow? She, you know, if, if we don't have a lot, generosity is the key. As our money grows, if we, ha if we, if we find ourselves living beyond our means, we've got more than what we need, then, the, then that's when the question becomes, should I invest some of this? Because I can actually grow it even more and then be even more generous. That's where a Christian starts to have to engage questions and ask much deeper questions, more than we, we would typically have to ask. So let's, let's, let's dive into this. Let's look at the most common type of investment that we would make, which is our retirement, most people's retirements is invested in a mutual fund. Now, you hear mutual fund, you just think, that just sounds boring. Just shoot me now, get me out of here. This is terrible. What's going on? Really, Matt, you're going to talk about mutual funds today. Well, the good news is, is I don't have anything for you to sign. I'm not here pushing any, you know, I don't get any benefits from any, any kind of mutual funds. But let's talk about a mutual fund. If you have, if you're employed by somebody and you're, you're, you're um, contributing towards some kind of entire retirement plan, it's a mutual fund, right? If you're self-employed, you probably have some kind of mutual fund set up with Vanguard or something, something one of these big people that, that provide these kind of mutual funds. A mutual fund, essentially, if you're not familiar with this, is just a collection of businesses. That's all it is. And when you pay, you pay money into it each month, and then either a person or an algorithm, probably mostly an algorithm, divides that money up across those businesses. And then the idea is that most of them will profit and do well, but some won't. Some will go out of business, some of them will lose money. But the idea is that because it's spread out across all these businesses, that the net is, over time, is that it makes a profit. Because by and large, most of them are gonna do better, right? That's the idea. Now, the problem with mutual funds is it disconnects the investor from the investment. Right, it disconnects. So a regular person like myself, I'm dis if, I in if I contribute to a mutual fund, I don't really know where it's going. And the challenge for Christians is 
that we might have God's money that he's blessed us with that we're putting into funds for saving up for the future, for, for retirement or other things. It's going into funds that we have no idea what these businesses are, what they stand for, what their values are. So it's not uncommon for mutual funds to be, even be invested in things that actually produce addictive substances, so certain drugs or tobacco or even are invested in the pornographic industry as well. Does God want us to use his money to fund things that are ungodly? I think the answer to that has to be no. Let's talk about some of the most common mutual fund companies that are typically invested in because they're very profitable. Let's talk about Hewlett-Packard, HP. Anyone have an HP printer? They make other stuff too. They make printers, they make other stuff. Hewlett-Packard is a huge supporter of Planned Parenthood. Now, I know talking about abortion is a big can of worms. We talked about it at different times at different points. I don't want to get into it too broadly, but I know most Christians I know are extremely uncomfortable with uh, the idea of funding uh, abortions. Also, also, the extreme views that we now have in our culture with um, partial birth abortion, all these terrible views. Hewlett-Packard, if we're invested in a mutual fund, we're probably invested in a company that is not just okay with those things, but is actively investing in and promoting those things. It's a real dilemma. It's a real dilemma for Christians. American Express is another one. American Express uses their funds um, from their shareholders to directly promote anti-Christian values and behaviors. Disney is another example of this. Disney has had increasing accusations um, many, you know, lots of families, lots of Christians, especially, becoming gro- a growing sense of unhappiness with Disney. That some of the content they're making is overly sexualized, but also that they're they're playing into this other cultural narrative that's actually trying to sexualize children and trying to push sexual identities onto children that they shouldn't really. It's not their place to really talk about. And there's even been leaked footage of employees at Disney talking about they're purposefully actually trying to do this. It's not just happening randomly. That there's an agenda. There's a plan to do this. Christians invest in mutual funds, they're invested in any of these things, we're actually actively funding ungodly enterprises. And it's, it's quite a shocking thing to learn about and to think about. And Disney, of course, is a huge company. They own all kinds of other companies too. I think they, they own ABC, ESPN, A&E, um, Hulu, National Geographic, Miramax, Touchstone, Hollywood Pictures, Pixar, Marvel Studios, Lucas, Lucas Films, and also 20th Century Fox, as well as a few others. If we're invested in these things as Christians, we may have no idea what's actually, what, how we're using God's money. Some churches, some church denominations several years ago now, um, grouped together and invested in this company called uh, Talisman Energy. It's a Canadian um, oil company. And uh, at the time that this happened, 25% of their holdings were, or 25% of their investments were in the country of Sudan. And at the time, it was known, actually well known, that Sudan is essentially a genocidal regime that has consistently, for decades and decades, tortured and persecuted Christians. So here you have church denominations investing in a company that's invested in a country that is persecuting Christians. This is the problem with the disconnect between investor and investment. 
And now it's, it's a real, I mean, we, we know it's a, it's a problem with like, where are our clothes made from? Where are our devices made from? Where are all these things? How, you know, what, it's, it's a major problem in our day and age. It gets, I get, the more I think about it, the more depressed I get, the more uncomfortable I feel about it. Um, what happened was some anti-slavery groups started lobbying um, against Talisman Energy, and um, I think it was Vanguard and the state of New York City, or not the state of New York City, the state of New York, both divested themselves of their shares in Talisman because they were invested in Sudan. So there was mounting social pressure. So that, that was a good outcome in the end that they dropped that. And then, but um, these, the uh, Talisman themselves were still invested in Sudan. So I think it was in 2003, after growing social pressure, they themselves ended up selling that 25% and they're no longer invested in it. So in the end, that's a good outcome, but it does create a massive dilemma for Christians in this way as well that if we band together and we say, let's sell all of our shares in things that we don't like funding, actually can increase the profitability of those companies. This is how investing works. Is bigger investors can get drawn to investments where shares look like they're, they're getting cheaper because they're a good, they're a good few, because they have a good track record. So if you sell all your shares, you actually end up, can, end up boosting um, with more gains over the longer term. So it might be more effective to boycott those things or... Um, to, to, to tell friends and family, like, hey, look, let's, let's not buy their products. Let's not use their things. Let's uh, resist that. And we actually have historical example of doing that. The Quakers in the 1800s, they uh, stopped using any business that was associated with the, the slave trade. It was just too much on their consciences. They got to a point where they're like, we cannot, we don't want to benefit from or benefit any organization that is uh, using, uh, you know, working through the slave trade. And so they, they took that step to do that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8 tells us, <laughs> excuse me, it says, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The challenge for us today is, is that you kind of have to become a, an investigative journalist to kind of figure anything out these days because there's so much misinformation, hidden information, disinformation, whatever it might be. It's a real challenge for us. So it's almost like you have to have a full-time job in order to track down all the different things that are happening. And, and people aren't always transparent about how money's being used. or It, it takes time and effort to, to uncover these things. And on a personal note, when I think about my retirement and my investments, like on a personal note, I'm not sure where all those things are going. I don't know all the different things those things are invested in. This is an area I personally need help in. And so, you know, we've got to lean on others. And maybe some here might be motivated, might be inspired to do some of that investigative journaling, uh, uh, journaling, investigative uh, journalism, in, in looking into different funds and doing research to find out where is this money invested? Where is, how can we invest it in a godly way? Some people might decide, I don't want to be invested in mutual funds at all. I'm just going to invest in property. That might be a way to go with, for some people. But wherever our investment is, I mean, there's risk in that. There's risk in the stock market. There's risk in property. There's all kinds of risk. And so as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of risk is godly? How much risk should we take on? Because you think about a farmer, a farmer when they sow seeds, that's a huge risk. The weather could destroy his crops. His, his storage facilities could burn down. 
um, you know, the competition could, they could, you know, beat him in the market, right? Or just the demand, the desire for whatever crop he's, is growing could, could go down. Or what if his crops get infected with some kind of disease? You know, there could be a major problem. So there's risk in everything. And if we're not willing to take on risk, then we should not make any investments. Because we've got to understand this. Any investment we make could go bad, and we could lose all of that money. That's the truth of an investment. It could go completely bad, and you could lose all of that money. Proverbs uh, chapter 21, verse, what verse is it? Verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The big question is how aggressive and how conservative should we be in our investments? This verse and other verses in the Bible tell us that high yield or high volatile investing is essentially gambling. We're essentially gambling. And the, the, the more risky an investment is, the less we should do it, the less we should be, uh, get involved in it. Because we've got to remember this, the stock market every 10 years or so has a you know, massive downturn. And we can't think that there's this constant growth that's always going to happen, that things go bad, economies go bad, things can happen, it can, and it can be prolonged for a longer period of time as well. Proverbs 13 verse 11 also says this, it says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So the Bible's, the Bible's concept of investment is slow and steady. Go slow and Steady. Let's go through five principles for investing. Five principles for investing. These are going to come up. Number one, we should never risk money that you can't afford to lose. If it's your retirement, if it's your health savings, if it's something that you know you need, don't invest it. You only invest extra. So Heather and I, we refinanced our house not too long ago, took out a cash out option. We're trying to finish our basement. Um, we have some special needs in our family and we're trying to make it accessible. And somebody said to me, so this is several months ago that we, we did it, and we have it in a savings account, um, and, but uh, somebody said to me, he said, you know, most economists predict that uh, Amazon stock is going to continue to go up. So maybe you should, should put that money into Amazon. Somebody said that to me. Half joking, but I thought about it. I thought about it. I thought, man, that could be, that's, that's an attractive idea. I checked it last night if I had done it. Didn't do it. Don't worry. I didn't do it. I thought, wow, that could be, you know, we've got this big, you know, we could grow, we could make it, invest it more. But I followed this principle. I thought, no, we can't afford to lose this money. If I had invested it, I would have lost a ton. Would have lost a ton. Don't invest something that you can't afford not to lose. Number two is never make uninformed or hasty investments. We have to remember an investment is essentially into a business. If you don't know that business, you don't know those people, you don't know that industry, you haven't spent the time to figure it out, you don't know the ins and outs of it, don't invest. Spend the time figuring it out, spend the time learning it, and then if you get educated on it, then maybe you know enough to make that call. But if you don't know, don't do it. Number three is master the basics of finance first. If we can't keep a budget, if we're in debt, if, we're not, if we can't even just save for just regular things, we have no business investing money. Get the basics down and then we can graduate to investing. Number four is count all the costs. There's obviously fees and associated things like that, but there's bigger costs, way bigger costs. There's emotional costs. Can your emotions handle watching that ticker go up and down? 
can, can your relationships handle it? If, if, you, if you take someone's advice, somebody you know and trust, they say, hey, invest in this thing, or let's go in together. Let's buy a property together. Let's do this investment. Let's do this. And it goes bad. Can those relationships handle that? That's a cost that we have to consider as well. And then number five is to seek many counselors. Many, many verses in the Bible talk about this. Not just listening to Dave Ramsey. You can do that. He's got some good stuff to say. But people who know us, people who know the Bible, people who, you know, faithful Christians, people who are ahead of us, people who have done well with their money, seeking a wide variety of counselors to say, help me think through what I'm doing. Now, the really cool thing about this parable that Jesus gave us is these guys started off as servants, and some translations call them slaves. They start off in that lowly place, but then through their ingenuity, through their hard work, they kind of 10x their money, and they're honored for it. And then they're put in a position of prominence. They're now in charge of cities. And this is kind of the vision of God's kingdom, that God's kingdom vision that he, <laughs> excuse me, that he has for us. God's kingdom is like this, that we start with nothing, but we, we can end up with everything. We really do go from, from rags to riches, from prison to princes, from enemies to families, that as we, as we take God's work seriously, as we invest in God's kingdom, we go from, the, from that, that slave to now being not just a mayor, but a mayor of multiple cities or a governor of many places. It's, it's an incredible idea that, that God blesses our lives in that way. The one servant who failed, what was his main failure? It was that he failed to have faith in the character of the king. He failed to believe that the king was good. He was approaching life from this wrong standpoint that, well, he must be an evil man, must be a terrible man, must be, you know, he takes what's not his. And this was the big failure. Of course, it was also a failure to not use the money, not to invest the money and to grow the money, not to do business with the money that he was given. Of course, that was a failure, but that failure grew out of his lack of faith. It is our faith in the goodness of God, our belief in God. It's that, that, that faith that, that opens the door, that brings us into a relationship with God. And then based on that faith, trust in God, we then build a life of good works. This is the be- you see in this parable, the beautiful nature of salvation that we've been given in God is that we're loved by God, not because of the works we produce, God does say, hey, well done. We're loved because we have faith in his character, because we trust in the goodness of God, because we put our hope and our faith in his good works and in his name and what he's done. And then based on that, then we can build a life full of good works. Let's make our greatest investment, God. Let's make our greatest investment, God. Let's put everything into his kingdom to help multiply what he blesses us with that we may bring him more glory.